so it gives us techniques. Those techniques are uh, inadequate, but they give us the hope that maybe next time, maybe next time it will be enough for me to feel fulfilled, for me to feel real and solid. Um, so I know who I am. And when those techniques fail us, when we feel inadequate in the face of these responsibilities, I have to be someone significant and we feel small and we feel like the game is rigged and we can never be who we're demanded to be. Um, then we turn to coping mechanisms and society also provides us with those. Uh, we end up self-medicating because we have to get through the day. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Real quick, before we begin this episode, listen to the end for updates on our Santa Ana Reformed Church Plant efforts and our upcoming Bible study on the Book of Judges. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today is a book club episode. We have Dr. O. Alan Noble on. He's going to be talking about his new book published by IVP. It's called You are not your own, belonging to God in an inhuman world. We're going to jump into that episode with Peter and Dr. Noble here in a minute. Um, As a reminder on some uh, links in their show notes, you're going to find a link to IVP. So you click that and you can get this copy of this book yourself. You can uh, click a link to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. That's a group of other podcasts that we're in with and uh there's if you enjoy our doctrines and our information that we talk about on our show you'll probably enjoy those shows as well there's also a local church finder where you can type in your zip code and find a local reformed church near you so we'll jump into this episode with dr noble and talk about his brand new book how you doing i am doing well thank you for having me Heck yeah! I was Absolutely. I was about to say it's it's like a brother from another mother with our with our red beards going on. <laughs> I like this. Yours, yours, is, yours is longer though. It's a COVID beard. <clears throat> that's 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 what I try to tell people, but mine's just more laziness. <laughs> my daughter, my youngest, said, "Dad, can I braid your beard?" This was like in the beginning of that <laughs> uh, the pandemic, and it was like too short. And I said, "No, honey, there's just not enough. I'd have to grow it." And she's like, and so then. Uh, and now I think she's forgotten. So I don't even know what I'm doing with my life right. or my beard. You're, you're secretly hoping one day she'll braid it. <laughs> I think that's what it is. And it hurts a little every time she walks by and she doesn't say anything about it. So, Your beard thank tickles, you. It's, 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 it's expecting, it's expecting some braids, but it hasn't been braided yet. Never. <clears throat> you know, well, I cool. noticed, I noticed this morning, I have a couple gray hairs in my beard. <laughs> I've never seen before in my life. Yeah, it's all that moving uh, stress. Oh, yeah, the last uh, six months has been uh, quite busy. And so, and also having a a little toddler around. So, yeah. There's a moral of this story. It's don't have toddlers and don't move. And you won't have gray hairs. Or doing them at the same time, just expect some gray hairs. I mean, it's been (laughs) worth it. It's been worth it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep, yep. 
So yeah, we're we're talking we're talking about your book. You are not your own. And if people don't know who you are, you are the your professor, associate professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University. And so you've been teaching composition and literature for over a decade. And I know you've written another book besides this one, but so my, my first question on this is why this book and why now? So, you know, I've uh, aside from these, you know, uh, my my previous book was called Disruptive Witness, yeah. and it was about secularism. And this yeah. book has to do with technique. Uh, I'm, I'm really in. Uh, interested in in social issues in general and the way Christians interact with them, and so uh, several years ago, as the you know public Christians were having debates, I don't remember if it's about abortion or gay marriage or or orientation issues or I don't you know one of many 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 popular yeah. uh, issues of, of real significance, right? I'm not trivializing them at all, but it, but it struck me that so many of them hinged on this question of belonging. Belonging. So many of them hinged on this question of belonging. And I think our church had been re- reciting the Heidelberg Catechism first question and answer at the time. And it and it it struck me that um, and I, I think I, I tweeted sort of offhandedly that I think the church will uh, persevere through modernity insofar as it's able to accept what the first the, mm. you know first question answer to the Heidelberg Catechism. Yep. yep. Um, because that that basic premise that that really ontologically we are not our own. Yeah. Right. Uh, from that, uh, all these other questions um, either are answered or become you know unanswerable. I think. Yep. Um, so so that was sort of the heady. Uh, philosophical, theological thing that was happening. I was, you know, considering this in the political sphere and the cultural sphere and, and thinking about how theology answers that and deals with that. But then on my, my daily day-to-day life, um, I was watching as my wife stayed home. My wife has two master's degrees, one in math and one in economics. Uh, so very intelligent and uh, had a very difficult time getting a job hmm. um, be, in part because she wanted to work part time so she could be with our kids more. And uh, our economy is not set up for that sort of thing. Our economy yeah. is set up so that if you're highly skilled, all you do is your career. Yeah, that's what that's what you do. You devote your life to your career because you're highly skilled. Why would you ever uh, be highly educated and not devote your life to a career? So so that was frustrating. But that was one part of it um, that, that that sort of struck me as there's something inhuman about the, the system, you know, our economy and the way it is what it assumes about women and about careers and about education, these sorts of things. But also, uh, as she stayed home for about a year with our kids, uh, I watched as she would interact uh, with other adults. And of course, whenever she met someone new, they'd always ask her, so what do you do? Mm. And, um, now we live in Oklahoma. Uh, it was a very conservative area, very Baptist area. Yeah. Uh, so the people who would ask that question are going to be the kinds of people who, who tend to be very supportive of stay at home mothers. And so mm. when she would answer, you know, I'm staying at home with the kids right now. Uh, of, of course they would be supportive of that, but they'd often follow up with something like, Wow, that's interesting. So, what does your husband do? Hmm. Uh, and the implication there, kind of being, uh, I, I support what you're doing uh, uh, intellectually, right? Like theoretically, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. But actually, uh, I have nothing else to say to you. Like, I don't find you an interesting person. Hmm. Uh, it feels like your life is on pause uh, because what what makes someone interesting and compelling is 
this, you know, thing that they're doing, this career that they're pursuing or this journey that they're on or whatever. And uh, so uh, that was notable. And the other thing regarding to parenting uh, was the fact that parenting when you're not, uh, when you don't have relatives nearby uh, uh, or close friends nearby is uh, unbelievably hard. And, and that the fact that we live so isolated from one another in these houses, um, trying to raise children by yourself, if you stay, uh, maybe Nick, maybe you're feeling this, but if you stay with a toddler for <laughs> yeah. eight hours yeah, by Nick yourself, that at all. you'll go crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll go crazy. It, yeah. it, it will drive you. And, and, and it made me think, how have humans lasted this long? And then it occurred to me, well, maybe we haven't been by ourselves with toddlers for all of history. Like, like maybe we tended to go outside and spend time with our neighbors and the kids played together, or we went over to each other's houses or we lived yeah. in communities. Mm. Anyway, so all these things are coming together. I'm watching as my students in college who are Christian and should not be burdened with these, uh, what I would call secular responsibilities of self-belonging. They're overwhelmed. They're crushed. Yeah. They, they have all these anxieties about being choosing the right career and marrying the right person and their lives being failures. So all of these things are sort of fitting together. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I think that in some pretty fundamental ways, our society is inhuman that I've, I've known it's fallen. Okay. I'm reformed. So yeah, it's fallen. Right. Okay. Yeah. But it, the particular way it's disordered today was what was interesting me. And then uh, at some point I made a connection between that uh, sort of theological philosophical uh, thought, uh, uh, you know, that centrality of to whom do we belong yeah. as the question of the modern world. And then the lived experience of the modern world, which was inhuman. And at that point, I thought, well, I wonder if it's inhuman because we're taught that we belong to ourselves, but that's not anthropologically mm -hmm. true, that, that, that we are not our own. But if we are told that we're our own and we're forced to act as if we are our own, that would make us feel terrible. And I think a lot of people feel terrible. So maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Before Nick asks his next something, something attached to this and you use this use this uh, illustration at the beginning of your book with that caged lion. Um, as you're walking into the zoo, you see this caged lion. You wonder, why is he acting so strange? You wonder, is that just who the lion is? But then you kind of make that as a metaphor for our human life and we have, in fact, we're the only species on this planet that has created our own cage for ourselves. It's if you can kind of like, <laughs> and I know it's, it's, it's kind of attached to what you just said too. Like we've created this yeah. own society for ourselves. It's, it's amazing. It's yeah, it's amazing. And then we're shocked when we're like, this cage is not natural. <laughs> exactly. This doesn't work. I wonder yeah. why that is. Yeah. So, so that condition is zoocosis. I, you know, you'll see this with uh, sometimes lions and bears, they'll pace in circles uh, in a zoo and they'll do it all day long. And you'll see like a little patch of ground, like an oval in the ground where they've been pacing all day long yeah. for maybe years. And uh, when I found out what, uh, Zookeepers, I don't know. That feels like a Dr. Seuss term. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Zoologists. I'm sure somebody uh, who's a zookeeper right now is yelling at their phones like that's called this. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Lion keepers. Uh, anyway, <laughs> to treat uh, um, zookosis, what they'll do is they tend to do two things. One is antidepressants and, and two is enrichment activities. When I heard that, I was like, that's me. 
Yeah, like that's, that's what society tells me. Like when when I am living in society and I'm rubbing up against it because it's 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 not built for me and it doesn't functionally work. And I'm filled with anxiety and dread and I'm overwhelmed and exhausted and feeling inadequate and depressed and all these sorts of things. Society says not, hey, there's a fundamental problem with the way we're living. Instead, it says, hey, you need some antidepressants, which I absolutely believe have legitimate purposes and in, in, in are, are and are helpful. Totally. Uh, but 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 OK. Uh, and then also here are some distractions because that's what enrichment activities are. Right. So here, you know, play with this weighted ball if you're a lion or for me, you know, here's some Netflix. Right. Um, and in either case, we're not we're not dealing with with the issue. So, yeah, I, I, I think that image is uh, is powerful. Yeah, I feel like uh, you have a, a great emphasis on the total depravity of man, which is really. Yeah, even like, though you don't call it that, I don't think throughout the book. But yeah, your images kind of reflect that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the man-made structures and ways of trying to maybe uh, either save ourselves or occupy ourselves or fill that void in our hearts that is only God shaped with our own man-made structures just doesn't satisfy. And I think you, you make a lot of great honest and blunt points about that, that I find really refreshing and appreciate. I know Peter says the same too. I'd like to actually in the introduction, this is a great way to start off the book too. I could either, either read it or if you want to read it, it's the very first paragraph of, of your introduction. Would you want me to read it? I haven't. I, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't have it uh, memorized. Okay. <laughs> what? You didn't memorize it? Oh, man. Sometimes, honestly, sometimes well, people will read me a section of my book. They're like, why did you say this? And I'll be like, I, I, did I really write that? Are You're you like, sure? That's really good. I forgot it's about just, that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's a good thing. And sometimes <laughs> like, I, to be honest, uh, can you go back a few sentences? Because I don't know what's, what I'm talking about there. Anyway, yeah, no, please, if you would. Go yeah, ahead. Nick, yeah. read it. A defining feature of life in the modern West is our awareness of society's inhumanity and our inability to imagine a way, uh, a way out of it. This inhumanity includes everything from abortions, mass shootings, and widespread cover-ups of sexual abuse to meaningless jobs, broken communities, and TV shows that are only good for numbing our anxiety our anxiety for 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. If you can, and this, and this relates to kind of how you structure your book too. Um, and so and you talked about it. So we're, we're both like setting these, setting these institutions up and humans are the only ones who both set it up for other species, but also for the species that we, that we are as homo, as homo sapiens. So as, as we're, as we're doing this, as we're thinking about this, and you talk about this kind of vicious cycle that we go through, both how does this cycle like how does it get perpetuated by ourselves and what is society telling us today about who we are and about like like do we have an end in mind like how do we get to that end or is there an end as 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 we're looking towards like who we belong to mm-hmm. yeah so the, it's a little deceptive about that that question of the ends so society gives us a promise it says yeah. Uh, all, all gods give a promise. Uh, false gods always give a promise. They just don't deliver. And so the false God of, of the modern world says, if you will fully accept the responsibilities of self-belonging, 
If you will fully accept the fact that your presence in the world, your existence, your identity, your meaning, your purpose, your agency, all of these things are uh, yours. And if you will embrace that and live authentically according to that, yeah. uh, then you will have the sense of peace and comfort and fullness and satisfaction um, that you are longing for. You will know that you're that you are right in the world. Uh, so that's the promise. Uh, the problem is that um, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. That it's asking us to do more than any what any human uh, is capable of doing. It, the burden is too great. Uh, so, for example, just on the, the question of identity. Yeah. Uh, so, if if we have to craft and define and project and express our own identity and do it authentically, uh, we can't stop doing it. I have to be doing it constantly, forever. Um, there's not enough people to affirm me. Mm-hmm. So if I, uh, you know, if 10 people affirm me and say, hey, I know who you are, I know your name, I like your branding or your identity or your shtick on social media, you're cool. That's not going to be enough. I'm going to need another 10 people and yep. another 10 people. And I'm going to need those first ones to reaffirm it. And it goes on and on and on. Uh, and that's exhausting. So it gives us these pr- this promise, and it says you just have to fulfill these responsibilities of self-belonging. Then it gives us some techniques to help meet those responsibilities. So a great example of that would be social media. Yeah. So we have social media to help in part to help us meet the responsibilities of identity. So I can express myself. I can define myself. I mean, the, the tools we have to brand ourselves are, yeah. are the same tools that uh, in the book I talk about, you know, that, that we're the, personal the best... papar- uh, paparazzi. You're, Absolutely. A little image. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the, in the golden age of Hollywood, the 1940s and fifties, that's the kind of press that we make for ourselves. Yeah. For example, we announce Roma, uh, you know, relationship uh, changes like, like, like we're movie stars uh, and that's <laughs> exactly. normal. That's a normal thing. Right. So, okay. So, um, but you'll notice uh, social media always has to give us more tools, more mm-hmm. methods for expressing myself. So it's not enough that, you know, uh, you know, Instagram allows me to post one one photograph and then one photograph with a filter and then uh, more filters and then uh, multiple photographs and then um, uh, short videos and then short videos that disappear and on and on yeah. and on. Why? Because I need more ways to do this. Um, so it gives us techniques. Those techniques are, uh, inadequate, but they give us the hope that maybe next time, maybe next time it will be enough for me to feel fulfilled for me to feel real and solid. Um, so I know who I am. And when those techniques fail us, when we feel inadequate in the face of these responsibilities, I have to be someone significant and we feel small and we feel like the game is rigged and we can never be who we're demanded to be. Um, Then we turn to coping mechanisms and society also provides us with those. Uh, We end up self-medicating because we have to get through the day. And so society says, well, um, do these things mm-hmm. uh, in 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 order to get through the day, uh, and not look at the fact that this promise doesn't work. Don't look at the fact that this promise was a lie. Don't look at that. Instead, distract yourself. Instead, numb yourself. Instead, yeah. you know, give yourself some pleasure, um, because that's the best that we have. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're it, it makes you trapped into a short term pleasure to pleasure. So you don't have to realize 
and think about who you are. And, and, uh, so yeah, it's the, it's the false promises of, you know, Satan in this world and aren't yeah. fulfilling. Yeah. Um, um, you, you talked about, you mentioned a little bit about the affirming group. You, you mentioned the affirming group and the resigned group that yeah. you talked about in the group. Can you go into like identifying those a little bit more too? Yeah. So this is something that, that, that I noticed. I've, uh, other authors, other, many other people have, have noticed this. So I'm just trying to put a, a different label on it to help explain some of it. But I do think that when anyone faces, when anyone is presented with these responsibilities of self-belonging, yeah. so one of them is identity, as I said, uh, another is justification. By that, I don't mean, I know this is a reformed podcast. So <laughs> yeah. we're, all re- we're all reformed <laughs> Everybody here. Everybody but... stood up and then cheered right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So I do think, you know, um, you know, uh, there is a, obviously, you know, the, the theological concept of, of justification, but I also think there's a kind of existential justification. And by that, I mean that um, we need some answer for why our presence in the world is a good thing. And that actually, I think, was true before the fall. Yeah. Uh, and I was actually, I was reading a great book by Kelly Capick, uh, who's at Covenant College. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, his new book. Uh, You're Only Human uh, or something like that. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. And he has this great section in that's, there. That that's on our list uh, to come up next. You should put it on your list to come up next. Yep. Um, so in there, he, t- he talks about the fact that, that Adam... Um, Adam was uh, humble before God because he was dependent upon God for his existence, even before he falls. Right. So there's a sense of humility before God. And, um, that's kind of what I'm talking about that we need an answer. Why is it good? Why is it a good thing that we exist? Um, and then also a theological justification, obviously. Um, so we've got these responsibilities, and when, we've, when we're faced with them, it's overwhelming. And some of us in some positions of life become what I call affirming, which I know is maybe a terrible term to use for this. I debated with my editor, but I, I went with it anyway. Uh, and by affirming, I mean that we just we say the system basically works. Yep. The, the, the system is basically a meritocracy. And if I work hard enough, if I focus, if I stop making excuses, if I use the best tools and methods and techniques available to me, uh, if I just work a bit harder, then things are going to work out. And I, and I will move to the top and I will succeed and I will get these dreams and I will have an identity and I will feel justified and fulfilled and happy and all these sorts of things. Uh, and then the other response is resignation, where you see this and you just say the game is rigged. I yeah. cannot compete. There are, there are so many amazing, intelligent, beautiful, cool people in the world. I cannot possibly compete. So why am I playing this game? This is, this is, this is for suckers. I'm, I'm going to tap out. I'm going to play video games all the time, or I'm going to look mm-hmm. at porn all the time, or I'm going to get high, or I'm going to do all three, or I'm going to, you know, or, or I'm just going to pour myself into, into a, uh, an unethical job uh, so that I can, you know, be able to afford certain pleasures or something. Uh, whatever it might be, but there's this sense that uh, it's meaningless to play the game that society has given you. So I'll choose some other game or yeah. no game at all. Right. And I, and I do think that we oscillate between most of us, you know, you know, hopefully we don't go all the way on, on either of them, but there'll be moments. I certainly see it with my students. They often come in from yeah. private schools and they're like affirming. They're like, I could do this. I'm going to be this straight A student. Yeah. And then they get their first paperback and they realize I have things to learn. 
Um, which <laughs> yeah. for Christians, that sense of humility should just be like, oh yeah, that's that should be expected. Hmm. But if you've been taught certain ideas about the importance of of crafting a great story for your life, uh, then any setback is a is a is a failure, and then they can go into despair. And all of a sudden, they're coming in and telling me I watched eleven hours of Netflix over the weekend because yeah. I couldn't get out of bed because yeah. I feel like I'm I've let everyone down. Yeah, and that that plays, and you, you talked about this, but <clears throat> in the kind of in the middle of your book about those who come in and this kind of our, our view today, maybe the older generation's view of the younger generation, that they're not very hardworking, they don't do very much, that they're kind of sitting on their phones all day. But you make, I think you make a pretty compelling case for those who come in where society tells them, no, get your information, get it consistently by these means that have to self-perpetuate, increase, get better and, and higher and more exposure and more affirmation. And eventually the students are like, I just, I can't do it. I, and so we, I think, so if you can kind of go into to that, so what not obviously not being kind of universal in scope, but kind of a general understanding of this. So those who are coming in today, we look at somebody who's on Instagram or Twitter all day long and assume you're not working very hard, but you make the case in, in, in some of these cases that no, this is, could actually be the result of society standards on somebody else who's saying, I, I just can't measure up. And so I might as well not try. Yeah. So what we tend to, what we want to think uh, is that these people who tap out don't care enough. And the problem is they actually care too much because they've yeah. been caught, taught to care too much, right? So like, when do you give up? When you, you give up, when you think that the, the task is um, unbearable and there's no point in, in, in trying any longer. And so, you know, the example I gave earlier of this student who's binge watching Netflix for 11 hours, that student, when that student comes into my office, I don't think, wow, this is an incredibly lazy student. Huh. I know, and I can see on their face that this is an incredibly depressed student. Hmm. Like they're, they're, they're never like, oh man, I had this great time where I just screwed around. You know, they're, they're always like, I felt like this boulder on my chest and I couldn't get out of my bed. And so I just watched friends. Um, and, 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 you know, and sometimes I'm not, I'm not saying they don't ever have fun doing something like that, but, but I do think that we tend to have a skewed view. We do tend to think that, that people who are, are, are in a, in a position of sort of resignation, their problem is that they, they don't care. And I, and I want to say, actually, they listen to what we've told them or society's told them they're school teachers, uh, sometimes pastors. I mean, uh, lots of authority figures, the media, certainly for their entire life, they believed it, they tried it, it doesn't work. And now they're trying to find some other way to be their own that gives them a sense of fulfillment and at least a little bit of pleasure out of life. And what I guess one of the things that troubles me most is that, um, if we just accept, it's not true, but if we accept that we are our own and belong to ourselves, then the, 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 the young man who gives up and spends all his time playing video games, works a, a, a menial job that pays his bills, but he does nothing more than plays video games and porn or whatever, uh, compared to the man who is a entrepreneur who um, you know makes a ton of money and absolutely devotes his life just to getting wealthy, yeah. like they're both doing fundamentally the same thing. They're they're both yeah. saying my life is a story. I've got to create something exciting and interesting out of it for for me because I'm yeah. the only one I can answer to. That's it. It's just me. And so by that standard, I think they're both doing what we've been we've taught them to do. Hmm. It sounds it sounds like a worldly work based religion outside Christianity kind of 
because you're using your own. But there's almost like no end to this. It's it's not even like, let's move towards something. It's no, this is a self-perpetuating cycle. The society is going to continually build these tools, but these tools only point to the next tool versus an end in sight. There is no so it it, it is uh, yeah you can think about it as as uh, as a kind of works based I mean as I said earlier I, I described this as a as a false promise because it yeah. is a kind yeah. of the idol of our of our culture and and it's the idol you know it's so insidious that part of the goal of this book is is to take a step back and say uh, and to try to help uh, non believers and believers see. Yeah how these ideas have sort of crept crept in, because I think it's easy to just see the way a kind of radical autonomy is uh, ravaging the secular world, right? And, and that's a real thing. But I also think, but I think it's, it's, it's difficult to see how we might've bought into totally. similar things. And, yeah. and, and, and again, as I see my students over having existential crises when they're seniors, I think to myself, we're not doing something right. Because if these kids are about to graduate college and they feel like if I don't get the right job or I don't marry the right person, my life will be an utter failure. Somebody screwed up or actually somebody's like we, we did this person a disservice because they don't understand that their, 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 their worth, their value is before a living and loving God, not before, you know, what they do with their career. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And even, when you're saying that, it reminds me of an, another illustration, a, a book that you described towards the end ish, right before you get into kind of quote unquote the gospel section of this. But it's a, a story of a, a young, kind of promising student who um, is, uh, I mean, gets straight A's or gets really good grades. And then there's this vision that she has of this tree or pulling from fruit of this tree and different options that they have from pulling from the fruit of this tree. So, how if you can maybe describe that metaphor that's being used, and you, I mean, you, I mean, you use this as kind of a contemporary metaphor for today's society, for this, this is kind of what we're seeing today. Yeah. So I teach this text. It's Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar to my, um, to my Christian, you know, English majors. Uh, Plath, very much not a Christian. Um, and yeah, and she's writing in the 60s, 50s, 60s. Yeah. And, and my students, so half a decade later, more than a half a decade. Oh my gosh. Did I said decade? <laughs> what is that? What is that? Half a half a century? Century. <laughs> <laughs> Close. Whatever. Numbers. I don't teach numbers. I don't teach rights. Your, um, your, your wife did, but yeah. It's, that's right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. She does. Um, in any case, they resonate with this story. It's this, yeah, as you said, it's a story of this girl who's uh, an affirmer. She's high achiever, top of her class. And then she gets to a point where she realizes she's she's given this opportunity, an internship where she's introduced to a lot of other people who are high achievers. And she realizes I'm really not all that special. And somebody she looks up to and admires tells her, if you even want to have a chance at a job in yeah. this field of editing, you're going to have to do a whole lot more. You you can't, you won't even stand a chance. And that's when she has this vision of being at the bottom of a fig tree and each fig represents a possible job for her. And she thinks, man, I could do this or I could do that. I could be a, I could be a mother. I could be a poet. I could be an editor. I could be a, uh, a, 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 a archeologist, I think is one of them, just all these different things. And she thinks I she can't pick any of them because if she picks one, all the others will, will, will dry up and, and rot and fall to the ground. Mm. And so she's terrified of picking the wrong one. And so in the dream, 
they all dry out and mm-hmm. fall to the ground. And, and uh, she dies. She imagines herself dying in the dream. And my students, when they read that, feel it acutely because yeah. uh, that's the sort of thing that they're, they're faced with. They believe they have so many options and making the right choice mm-hmm. um, is going to define their life. Yeah. Uh, and so they freeze up. They have what's called choice paralysis. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. that was yeah, an incredibly compelling, um, yeah, both vision and metaphor for probably not just in today's society, but I think especially compelling for kind of where we're at right now. Um, yeah, where our life choices tend to be not just what we do, but who we are. <clears throat> and if we don't choose the right one, then society looks at us and says, "Oh, they had all this great potential. What happened to them?" Or they just, in the, I mean, one that struck me that just hadn't struck me before is, oh, they're just a mother. They're not actually, uh, they're not actually contributing yeah. to society in any way. Yeah. Yeah. That story yeah. that you're describing with that young woman, I definitely can relate to that. I've had that, uh, just paralysis by too many choices and I want to do everything. I want to be like extremely good at every single thing, but then I'm afraid to pick one because you know, yeah, then you neglect the other ones and then you're afraid that you made the wrong decision and you only have so many years of your life and you feel like you wasted them if you pick the wrong one. Um, so even as, you know, somebody like me, me as a Christian, I, I can relate to oh, yeah. people that struggled with that. We can, but um, this is, this is really uh, comforting that you've acknowledged this and, and you've, you've said that you've, you know, maybe have talked to young people that struggled with this. And so what's your message to them? Is it, do you go straight to like question answer one of the Heidelberg and just <laughs> go right yeah. there? Do you talk, yeah. do, you, do you explain the law gospel distinction? Do you um, introduce them to who Jesus Christ is? What, what do you kind of feel like you do at this yeah. point? I mean, sort of uh, all of the all of the above. Although I don't use it in 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 typically, I don't actually recite the catechism uh, for yeah. them. But what I what I do remind them of is that um, their task before God is to be faithful, to honor Him, and to glorify Him, and that um, God is going to give them lots of good things that they can do. And they just need to use the wisdom that God has given them to pick one and to do it well, to glorify God. And that's it, right? If you have it, if, if there's some career and it's an opportunity for you to, to support your family and to support the church and uh, it's, it's uh, good for your neighborhood, your community, mm-hmm. um, and it's ethical work, then just do that job. That's fine. Like you don't, and, and if, if this is the only, if this life is all that we have uh, and we have to tell a great story with it, then we really need to be worried about Mm. not doing all the things Mm. like you, you should feel panic that you're not doing all the things you should feel bad that you're not watching all the movies and having all the hobbies and exercising in all the ways and being, you know, the parent in all the ways and all these different things, right. Reading all the books. Um, but if, if we're not our own, if that's not the point, if that's not the core of our existence is not to experience all these things, uh, but it's an act of grace, like our being in the world is a gift from God. Um, then we can rest. And what we can do is we could just ask, ask, what is a good thing for me to do for God and for my neighbor right now? What is it that I need to do right now? And then do that thing. 
And um, we don't have to fear, you know, choosing the, the wrong thing. If it's an, if it's an honoring thing to do, if then, then it's good, then it's fine. Um, and so often I think I find telling students that, you know, they don't have to go to grad school or get some great career or know exactly where they're going to be in 20 years, but just do something good right now. And that, because it, standing before God transparently, I work a bit with Kierkegaard in the, in the book. That's, mm. that's, that's where we're at. That's what we need to be thinking about. Um, and, and it's not that we only stand before God once we've achieved some, you know, certain excellence in this life. Um, it's right now uh, because of, because of Christ. And so, so yes, uh, the gospel, Jesus, I just tell them Jesus. And then <laughs> yeah. they're like, thank you, Dr. Noble. And then they leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I think it's, it's especially pertinent. And I think there's a, there's a question to be asked with this too. And you spend the first, what is it? First, uh, first four chapters and kind of first five chapters. It's a little bit mixed in chapter five. Um, but kind of hard hitting on like, let's, let's take this, let's take this, not just concept, but the self-affirmation, the self-belonging, let's take this to its logical end, even though society doesn't tell you where this ends, let's take this to where this ends. And as you, as you, as your own belonging person and what you have to do to belong to yourself and not just belonging to yourself, but you can't just rely on your own affirmation, which, 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 which you assume as a person who belongs to himself, but you actually have to rely on other people's affirmation as well. Um, so if you can, if you can talk about that and then transition into, um, the gospel, cause I know you also talk about a fear for those who, who uh, approach the gospel and say, no, you belong to again, somebody else and the baggage that you might bring to belonging to something and maybe being hurt by it, being, um, being taken from it and, and whatever respect that may be. Um, cause I, I thought, I thought that was pretty compelling when you talk, uh, about belonging to Christ and bringing maybe some baggage into what, what's, I've been, I've belonged to myself and I've hurt myself. I've belonged to others and they've hurt me. Mm. How is Christ not going to hurt me if I belong to him? All right. So those are two. So there, so you want me to talk about the, the question of abuse, yeah. which is very important, but, but also uh, the question of, of external validation. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, cause it was it, that, that lit into this stuff too, where it's not just, yeah. we affirm ourselves, but it's like, yeah. we have to affirm ourselves while being affirmed by other people to make sure that affirmation is actually being affirmed. Right. Yeah. That's, it's the great catch 22. And we've known, as I said, at the very beginning of the book, like we know all of this stuff. Uh, we just kind of can't imagine a way out of it. So we've always had these jokes. Uh, there's a great, you know, Calvin and Hobbes uh, uh, strip about, um, you know, Calvin wearing a, a, a name brand, you know, a t-shirt or something and feeling like he's an individual or something like that, you know, like I'm going to be unique just like everyone else. Yeah. You know? uh, so we, we know this, but it still works effectively on us. So, um, Identity is one of those responsibilities of self-belonging. We have to have a, a, a solid sense of identity. Uh, it, our, our default in the contemporary world is going to have is going to be to feel that our identity is fluid, and that's unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it creates anxiety and angst and all these sorts of things. So we want a static, we want a firm identity, and to get that, you have to have some external validation. You have to have somebody affirming you because yeah. the nature of identity, the very idea of identity, uh, in involves uh more than one thing yeah right? somebody so has to you, see your identity for you to know you have an identity precisely if, if if the universe is just one thing there 
identity as a concept doesn't work uh, because there has to be some other. So mm-hmm. there has to be an other who sees us, who affirms us, who can name us, recognize our face, all these sorts of things. Uh, and, and you see that, I mean, what we talked about earlier with social media, I mean, a lot of that is mm-hmm. uh, technique tools mm-hmm. for us to do that for ourselves, yeah. to ask for it from others and to provide it to others, yeah. uh, which by the way, I think is, is one reason why there's such a contemporary emphasis upon uh, affirming people mm-hmm. and their identities, because it, it is a way of affirming their being in the world. We've taught them that this is how you exist. And so uh, they they see it as, a, as an existential question. If you don't affirm my identity, then you're really not affirming my being, my presence mm-hmm. in the world. Um, so for the Christian, though, the great, the great hope is that there is a witness to our, our existence and that witness is God. And the difference is that he sees us transparently. He sees us in all our contradictions, all our hypocrisy, all our sin, all our confusion, all our doubts, our ignorance, our loves, our desires. Um, and he loves us and he, and he knows us for certain. He knows us for certain. So uh, the gaze of God upon us means that we do have an identity. Can we articulate it and write it out and turn it into an icon or a brand? No, it's too complex for that. But we know that there is one, one witness at least, who can see us and know us truly. And that's enough for us. Uh, now to this, the question of abuse, and this is... Um, you know, this is one of the challenges of the book. The very title itself is 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 quite, and I don't mean this in a, in a, a mocking or belittling way, but it is quite, it is triggering to some people because yeah. the sad truth is that uh, the the church has used this idea of not belonging to yourself. Uh, I, I'm not going to say the church. People in the church yeah. and churches, specific individual churches, have used this um, as an excuse to abuse people sexually, spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever it is. Um, and there's a long history. And the church, if you study church history, it's a it's a history of people in the church often abusing mm-hmm. um, people under them. It's 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 uh, horrific. And so um, that's a reality about this concept that yeah. there is this, this baggage and that people have experienced these things and that's real. And, uh, the fear that, that I, I think that many people have when they even imagine not belonging to themselves is that if I belong to somebody else, that other person at some point will take advantage of me. Mm-hmm. If I belong to myself, at least I can know that I can trust myself to yep. take care of myself. Uh, that, yeah. that I can, but but if I belong to anyone else, they're going to take advantage of me at some point, and that's true with other people. Like, um, so you know, my children uh, uh, belong to me, but there there are times when uh, you know, they want me to play with them. And, and dad says, uh, I'm going to take a nap on the couch mm-hmm. and I put my own good above theirs. That's the key, right? I put my own good above theirs. Uh, they belong to me, but I can't, I can't always keep their good, their benefit, their, uh, what's best for them. I can't always do that because I'm fallen and I'm mostly I'm tired, Frank. So uh, <laughs> that's that's gonna happen. It happens in relationships, you know. This, you know, in a marriage, this happens over and over, right? Where you you belong to your spouse and you want to sacrifice for them, and that's great. But there are times when you fail, 
there are times when you actually put your good in front of your spouse's good and you shouldn't, but you do. And that it will always happen with other humans, but that's not true with God. And so here's the distinction that I want to make. Yeah. Um, God is the one being for whom it's possible for him to desire our good and his own good without conflict. Hmm. Right. So, um, there will be times when my good and my wife's good are in conflict. <laughs> yep, yep. And certainly uh, my good and my children's good uh, in conflict. That happens exactly. all the time. Yep. You know, that's, that's natural. But, but God, who knows all things, he knows what is truly good for us, and he desires what is good for us. And so that's a distinction, which means that God uh, is not the kind of being who can abuse us. Uh, who can take advantage of us when we rest in him and we accept that we belong to him, that our very being in the world is a gift from God. Um, we're accepting reality, I would say, but we're also trusting one who is the only one who can't abuse that kind of authority. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's, I mean, it was, it was a fascinating kind of comparison too, that we are, we, we're, we're already looking for affirmation. We, we, we self-affirm and we're looking for societal affirmation to affirm that our affirmation is actually what we think our affirmation is. And yeah. then that being externalized to one who affirms us in Christ, sees us as he sees Christ being the affirmation. But I think for a lot of people, that's it's not quote unquote as tangible as getting a like on Instagram or getting somebody to quote tweet you on Twitter or whatever it may be. Somebody saying, hey, I affirm you and what you're doing. And in the Christian, like in the, in the Christian faith and in the, in the Reformed faith, we we see God accepting us in Christ. But I think for a lot of people, it's just not as tangible. Or I can I can feel this. I I, I see this. I see my likes growing. Um, even us as a podcast, we're like, oh, our downloads are growing. Our audience is, is rapidly growing, and that's that's a more tangible aspect I think for a lot of people than it is kind of the Christian faith. So in and you you kind of touch on this. Um, within your book, but maybe that's also part of it too, where the modern society is looking, say, well, at least we can quantify it. We can say that it's growing in affirmation. So how, how do you speak with our only comfort in life and death being Jesus Christ? How, how do we take this for somebody who sees this quantifiable and says, no, it's, we need the only steadfast affirmation that comes in Christ. Yeah. So first I think it's, it's remarkable. I think you're absolutely right that, that, we feel a lot more satisfied with things that are quantifiable than with an idea that feels extremely abstract and immaterial, yeah. this idea that, that God loves us and our being uh, is affirmed and, and preserved in him. But I, I guess, uh, you know, as you were, as you were describing that, um, I was just thinking about the fact that, that we only have existence because of God. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, actually like the most material, the most <laughs> physical <laughs> affirmation that, that, that God loves us is the fact that he's preserving us. Like mm -hmm. we only, you are only here. Our voices only exist. Our bodies, we are only, this whole universe is only here right now because God is actively preserving it. Mm -hmm. Um, that's that is that is incredible right that is stronger evidence far stronger evidence than any sort of these you know social media likes um yeah. but uh it's we're so close to it that it feels invisible and immaterial yeah. and insignificant whereas these artificial uh trivial things like social media attention uh feel 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 real yeah so the hope that um 
I, I love the Heidelberg Catechism. First question and answer the Catechism yeah, itself. Yeah. But but um, just first of all, I'm so fascinated with the idea that it begins with this question of what our comfort in life and death is, yep. because yep. It, it feels so. In the book, I call it, I think, existential, but 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 it's like I mean, cosmic. It's it, huge. It's this acknowledgement. Yeah, it's this acknowledgement that if you're a person, here's here's the first question that you want answered. <laughs> yeah. um, where do you get comfort? <laughs> That's amazing to me, right? Because it assumes that you feel a lot of discomfort. Like uh, evidently, yeah. evidently, the thing that you need to get off your mind is how do I have any sense of peace? Because I feel terrible mm. with living and the thought of dying is no better right? There's a terror in living. There's a fear of living. There's a discomfort. And there's also a fear, discomfort, terror, dread in, in, in dying. And Christ provides a comfort uh, both in life and in death. Um, yeah. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that's radical. Um, so uh, if we belong to Christ, because that's what the Heidelberg Catechism says is, is the source of our comfort, is belonging um, that means that these responsibilities of self-belonging that we've been describing, that hmm. society has promised us, hey, if you just if you just meet these responsibilities, you're good to go. Uh, they're lies. They're myths. They're just they're just not true. They're lives of false idols that um, never satisfy and always demand more and more blood and time, and leave us feeling inadequate. Yeah. And then striving harder after them. So those responsibilities are. Uh, a lie. And our existence, our justification comes from God's love for us, his creation and preservation for us, Christ's work on the cross, his righteousness, um, imputed righteousness, uh, these things. Mm -hmm. And um, however, and so this is, you know, you've, you've talked several times about how the first, you know, half of the book is, is rough. It is, it is a hard. (laughs) And, and so then, um, and then we get to the gospel, we get to, uh, to, uh, to some hope, but it's also not a, it's not a simple, it's yeah, not a, yeah. uh, Hey, actually, if you just change your mindset, you're all you good from here on out, boom, problem solved. It's just a mindset thing, right? Uh, I can't actually reduce this book to a, uh, an Instagram post, uh, about <laughs> yeah. mindset, m- mindset change, um, for, an, for a number of reasons. Um, one is that society is still going to put these obligations or pressures upon you. They're still going to say, no, you do have these responsibilities and you need to get your act together. Um, When I was giving a talk about this book in uh, Virginia earlier this year, it's the end of the year, so it had to be earlier. Earlier this year, uh, at a at a Reformed church, uh, um, Presbyterian church, there was a wonderful lady there who was from, I think, Central America. Who is after I described sort of the ideas of this book and talked about community and belonging to others because we belong to God, she said, "Hey, I get all of this is like this is what I grew up with. Yeah, we this was the norm, and I came here, and everyone thinks I'm weird." And well, there's a number of interesting things that we talked about, but one of them was the pressure she felt at her job, at one of her jobs that she had had um, to deprioritize her family and her husband mm. and cooking at home. She likes to, she loves to cook. She loves to cook for her family. And they were like, you should be eating out. You shouldn't be making food for your husband. Huh. Um, and she's like, I, I, you know, I want to work this job and do it well, but I'm not really interested in moving up and being driven. And I just want to, 
and they just uh, they wouldn't accept it. So that's going to happen. Right. That's that's a reality. We're still going to get those pressures. So that's one of the reasons why this is uh, it is a hope. It is a comfort. um, But what we're not expecting is everything to be solved remotely. It's still going to be hard. The other thing is. If we accept that we belong to Christ, that means that we have a lot of obligations that maybe we've been neglecting. Mm. There are a lot of things that maybe we don't want to accept as responsibilities that that, that really are responsibilities. And they're hard also. They, were, they demand dying to self, dying to desires, putting others first, picking up our cross. It's not always going to be fun. Often it will be very difficult and painful. Um, the difference is that the responsibilities of self-belonging are unbearable. No human can bear them. Uh, They are impossible. Whereas the responsibilities that come with belonging to God are on a human scale. So for example, my responsibilities to my family, that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean I'm going to be the perfect husband to them, but, but it does mean that I am able to stay faithful to my wife. I am able to uh, stay faithful to my kids by raising them, by um, in the fear and admonition of the Lord, by giving them a good education, by mm-hmm. loving them, by teaching them, by reading to them, all these sorts of things, right? I can be faithful to my community. I can, um, you know, in all these ways where society says, actually, you should pursue what is best for you. Mm. Um, that's not that's not true for us if we don't belong to ourselves. Mm. Um, so, so all that to say, the end of this book is there is a great co- uh, comfort. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, a sober. I think it's a sober yeah. uh, uh, comfort. It, it's a it's a call to some things that are difficult. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe my last comment before Nick, if you want to if you want to end it out, but. It's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the Heidelberg Catechism written is kind of written for a couple of years, but it's published in 1563 to a very specific area, which was not kind of Western American individualism. But he still begins it by assuming there's vacillation that people are being affirmed by other sources and saying, "No, your only comfort in life and death is in cross." So there's an assumption, like you said, I, I love how you how you put it. There's an assumption that we think our comfort is in either ourselves or outside of. Of Christ, so there's there's an implicit assumption that he starts off with, and then gets into the theological grounding of all that stuff. Yeah. But he starts off with the big question and moves on from there. So I love I love how you put that. Where yeah, there's there's an assumed um, vacillation. There's assumed like up and down movement of of life for both Christians and non Christians. Yeah, are we resting in Christ as our final as our final uh, final work on the cross, or are we resting in ourselves in this constant vacillation of life? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I don't know, Nick, if you have anything else. Yeah. Um, I just think that when you find your affirmation and identity in God, it does, it takes a lot of weight off your shoulders in your marriage and your role as a parent and all these other relationships and roles in your life, because you know, you know, like you're already not perfect in and of yourself, but you have, I mean, you, you have the affirmation of God and you're, Mm -hmm. you're you're an adopted child of God. And so when life gets really hard and things are not going well and life is falling apart around you, you know, you still have Jesus. Yeah. And that, that, that even that might sound corny or cheesy to (laughs) some people, but, but really, and when it gets really hard, that's all you need. And um, people will, we're all fallen. We're all going to let each other down at some point. We're just, you know, 
Um, so I think, but God will never let us down. And I also think too, the talk of identity, I think anybody that is searching for identity, struggling with identity or imprisoned by identity um, outside of Christ is a, is, is a form of idolatry. Yeah. 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 No, it's, yeah, this is, yeah, this is incredibly helpful. And yeah, it's, it's a hard first part of the book, but I think just, I mean, just like the gospel is glorious when you see the extent of your sin, you see the extent of your depravity. I think you have to see the extent of kind of the failure of what society is kind of pushing you towards in order for you to see just how gracious yeah. and how incredible the gospel is as yes. a, not just a response, but as a, as a foundational um, truth of your life. So it's hard. So yeah, people who are listening to this, the first four chapters are rough, but read those chapters. And then the last few chapters get better because you just read those first four chapters. Um, yeah. So yeah, if I, if I can provide some hope for those <laughs> who are reading right now, I was like, when does it get better? It's like, I, I promise it you it gets better. better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think that was necessary. But I mean, other than that, was there, is there anything yeah. that we didn't cover that you wanted to, to talk about with your book or anything that was nuanced that you want to kind of leave people with about you are not your own? No, I think that's, I think that was great. This has been a wonderful conversation. Great questions. Great dialogue. I appreciate it a lot, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I mean, we, we talked about this pre-recording and Nick and I were talking about this. I, I think, and we, we were in agreement with, this is, this is a perfect book to give. Um, this will come out right before the new year. Uh, this is a perfect book to give somebody who doesn't know Christ, um, who may not have any theological knowledge whatsoever, doesn't assume any theological knowledge. Uh, it's a perfect, uh, a perfect book to give to somebody if they're struggling with identity, whatever it may be, just to hand them say, hey, I think this is going to be a helpful book in your search. Um, so yeah, th- thanks for writing this. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show and, and talking about our only comfort in life and death. Thank you. Are you looking for a Reformed Church in the Orange County, Santa Ana area? We'll be starting our study through the Book of Judges, as well as diving into Reverend Danny Hyde's Welcome to Reformed Church beginning weekly on December 2nd, which is a Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. If you'd like updates and information on joining our core group, email us at SantaAnnaReformed at gmail.com or head to either GuiltGracePod or SantaAnnaURC on Twitter or find the link in the show notes to learn more. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world and how to best do that is rate and review us on itunes yeah and you after you rate a review or instead of writing review or doing everything all at once retweeting us on twitter liking us on twitter liking us on instagram following us on both of those platforms because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast these guests and most importantly the gospel the doctrines Uh, that these guests are are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. 
as again we bridge the gap to reform christian <laughs> theology exactly the yeah and you guys can find that link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this or three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.